Hello to those who are joining me. My name is Justin Crunkleton, and this is episode one of Cryptid Corner, a podcast hosted and sport by TFC's Eagle Radio team, a podcast where I, uh, Justin Crunkleton, take and tell you stories of cryptids and supernatural creatures. Uh, We dive into stories of various different creatures and uh, their folklore and the things surrounding them. We'll look into their stories, into the different renditions and different opinions uh, that exist of them, and we'll get into the factual basis of them, uh, the fictional basis of them, as well as the cultures and aspects surrounding them. Now, episode one, we focus on the Goat Man. Now, the Goat Man, or as some know as the Pope Lick Monster, or <clears throat> think about Greek mythology, a satyr, is a folklore beast, a cryptid beast, uh, that is <clears throat> rumored to be roaming the woods of the Appalachian Mountains. However, there are stories as far as Texas uh, citing this creature. When you hear the goat man, you know, what do you think? You think of, perhaps, like I said, the satyr from Greek mythology. You have a, a cloven hooves, a goat legs, or degenerated legs, uh, a man's body, and sometimes either a man's head or a goat's head. Uh, either way, you hear it as the goat man or as the Popelick monster or the Maryland goat man. In some way or another, there the goat man is a mix between a human being and a goat in some capacity. We're going to go through a different couple of cultural settings and different versions of the goat man. And then we're going to end off the episode with a, I would say, the most famous story of the Goatman, which would be uh, Anasi's creepypasta from the creepypasta wiki of the Goatman. And that will be a summarized version. To begin, man is, it is seen as far from as Maryland to Texas to Louisiana. Um, some people from New Orleans and Louisiana see it as the a chupacabra. Sometimes those terms are interchangeable with each other. Some people claim that the goat man is uh, an axe-wielding murderer versus, you know, an animal or a creature that roams the woods. Now, <clears throat> on the cryptids compendium, it says that the first sightings were as early as 520 BCE uh, in ancient Greece. Now we all know ancient Greek mythology uh, to be well, just like that mythology. However, uh, it's still interesting to see people claiming to see things like this today, and it being able to be seen over 2,500 years ago. But that does refer to the goat man or the satyr, which is going to be different than what we have today. However, a common denominator between the satyr of ancient Greece and the goat man of today is that it is seems to be common in stories that the goat man 
will roam the woods, and they are um, sexually violent creatures. Uh, this coincides as well with the Greek myth that the satyr was seen as a a symbol of fertility, a symbol of sexual uh, prominence, and so it was associated with the Greek god of Pan. Um, and if you've done your Old Testament classes, you've probably heard of the, the goat satyr god. Um, it was, uh, Paul referred to him one time uh, in his travels. Uh, that would be from all the way to ancient Greece, you get reports of this goat-like creature. We'll start off with the more modern renditions of this goat man uh, as the Waterford Sheep Man. I know a sheep man and a goat man, they could be a bit interchangeable, but the Waterford Sheep Man is an abominable creature that terrorized the small rural town of Waterford, Pennsylvania in the early 1970s. It lurked in farm fields, stalking the unwitting animals in a desire to tear apart and feed on their flesh and blood. Uh, hundreds of people reportedly witnessed this creature, and they could also refer to it as the Goat Man. It was a very popular uh, in this area for teenagers in Waterford, Pennsylvania, to hunt this Goat Man and uh, to go out late at night. I mean, what else did you have to do back in the 70s other than drive around and hang out? Uh, so why not hunt the Waterford Sheep Man? Uh, Marilyn, the, it says here that uh, Marilyn uh, knew of the Goat Man legend as a teenager in the 70s, but along with the stories, she had also seen it with her own eyes on more than one occasion. Uh, she had claimed that she lived on Baghdad Road in Waterford, Pennsylvania, and she saw it running across the dirt road at one point near an old sawmill. Uh, she remembers at the time that there was much talk about the legend of the Goat Man, and she claimed that she had a second encounter with the monster when she was 17. Uh, he was there one night, I drove home, and right before I turned into my driveway, there he was, running across the road and into the woods. Again, in Waterford, Pennsylvania, there are reports of teenagers hunting uh, the Goat Man as a hobby, you know, as just something to do to hang out. Uh, however, these reports seem to be uh, unfruitful of evidence or results in these hunts. Moving on to the Maryland Goatman. Uh, according to legend, the Maryland Goatman is an axe-wielding, half-man, half-animal creature. And uh, this is one of the more famous renditions of the Goatman, that there was once a scientist who worked in the Beltsville Agricultural Research Center. The tale holds that he was experimenting on goats, the experiment went awry, and he began attacking cars with an axe, roaming the back roads of Beltsville, Maryland. A variation of the legend tells of Goatman as an old hermit who lives in the woods, seen walking alone at night along Fletchertown Road. That one's a bit more fantastical, I would say. I don't know, you know, it's, it seems a bit weak in my opinion. Uh, that there was just generic experiments going on to some scientist just experimenting on goats in the woods, who knows for what. And there seems to be no explanation I can find anywhere on what experiments were going on, how those experiments came to morph this man into the goat man. And so we leave Maryland taking it with a grain of salt, in my opinion. Next up is the Pope Lick Monster. 
the Pokelet monster is a legendary part man, part goat, part sheep creature reported to live beneath a Norfolk Southern Railroad trestle over Floyd's Fork Creek in the Fisherville area of Louisville, Kentucky. That was a mouthful. In most accounts, the Pope Lick monster, named after the Pope Lick Creek below the Pope Lick train trestle, appears as a human-goat hybrid with the grotesquely deformed body of a man. It has powerful fur-covered goat legs, an alabaster-skinned face with an acaline nose and wide-set eyes. Short, sharp horns protrude from the forehead, nestled in long, greasy hair that matched the color of the fur on the legs. That is all we have for the Popelik monster, but as you can see, uh, it has seemed to be found in a very specific part in Kentucky. And from the research I've done on this specific part, uh, in this rendition of the Goatman, it's actually a very famous part of the town, kind of like the Mothman. Uh, for where it the next we have a bit bigger section on what is known as the Proctor Valley Monster. Said to be seven feet tall and a deranged cow, the Proctor Valley Monster provides numerous points of evidence for Goatman's existence, including a footprint, supposedly. Now, the legend of the Proctor Valley Monster grew, and it is described as a seven-foot-tall hairy humanoid like a Bigfoot, or sometimes a cow-like animal with its body parts in the wrong place. Uh, the Proctor Valley Monster is assumed to be responsible for the livestock mutilations that occur every now and then in this valley. Uh, the Benita Museum in Chula Vista has a casting of a strange footprint alleged to be that of the monster. Almost identical to all Goatman stories, the Proctor Valley Monster seems like a tale told around a campfire. Just right for a Hollywood B-movie. A teenage couple go parking in the woods off Proctor Valley Road in the southeast corner of San Diego County in California. The car won't start, or maybe they had a flat tire, and the boy gets out to investigate, but he doesn't come back. The girl stays inside, <clears throat> terrified because she, has, she hears scratching on the outside of the car. Police find her the next day, still hiding in her car. The boyfriend, he's dead. The story, can, <clears throat> the story sometimes has mysterious, huge footprints found nearby. Uh, a local psychiatrist who once lived in Alpine quite seriously claims to have seen a Bigfoot-type creature in the hills near this house. Um, the doctor has she, uh, shied from publicity, saying he wants to write his own book on the events. But third-hand accounts say he described a six- or seven-foot-tall hairy creature accompanied by two similar critters. He made a pl plaster cast of a footprint 16 inches long and 8 inches wide. He also related many strange happenings and sounds around his home. Park rangers and other investigators could never confirm the sightings, but plenty of campers, area residents, and even a sheriff's deputy claimed to have seen some large, hairy thing tromping the hills of Alpine. One investigator into Bigfoot phenomena notes that the nearby Viejas Indians have a legend of a similar creature that guards its burial grounds. Until the doctor writes his book, this is about all we'll know about the Proctor Valley Monster. These different renditions and uh, versions of the Goatman, uh, as you can see, stretch far and wide across the American Southeast and the South and the Northeast. Um, it seems that the common denominator in all of this is somewhere 
in the forests specifically. They're seen in the temperate forests of the south and uh, of the eastern seaboard. There is, seems to be something horned, hairy, bipedal, and unnatural roaming the woods. Of course, that's just first-hand accounts. Could be fake. Could not. I believe that's for you to decide. Now, I can't officially condone hunting said goat man. However, if I'm ever passing by that area where the Popelik monster is said to roam, I might stop by, check under the trestle. think it might be something interesting to look into. But, <clears throat> what I will do is relay to you now the most famous Goatman story on the internet, I would say. Uh, and that would be Anansi's Goatman story on the Creepypasta Wiki. Now, I won't relay this story word for word, because it's rather long, and there is uh, heavy profanity in the story. Of course, that would be, that's going to be excluded for your viewing pleasure. However, this story is a good one, and it provides a first-hand, first-person account of some finer details of the goat. So, buckle up, turn your lights out, and let's listen to the story. <clears throat> the story begins with, as far as the only way we know of him is Anansi, from the Creepypasta Wiki, and we're going to call him Annie, for short. Now, Annie was 16 years old, and he has a lot of family that he's going to visit down in Alabama, Huntsville. He goes down, finds his family, connects with them. They are, they, his uncle owns a big house and a bunch of trailers that they put out in the woods for hunting or for camping trips. His cousins, once he meets them and he arrives in Huntsville to visit, they suggest that they all go down to the camp to chill out, cook, have a good time, explore the woods, things like that. Once he meets with his cousins, he goes out to the woods. Uh, they gather some food, some supplies, and they head out to those trailers. Uh, when they arrive out there, they set up things, you know, get situated, and uh, two gentlemen come out of the woods, a man and his son, and they ask what those children are doing so far back in the woods. And he tells them about his uncle who owns all the trailers and they say that they're camping out. The man warns the children to be very careful out there and stick together because there was a big animal in the woods. Uh, the man's son, who is who was Annie's age, asks if he can stay and hang out with us and his father agreed. Seems plausible due to a small town and this story I believe is set uh, at least ten years ago or more. So they gather around, they play football, uh, they play around. Um, there is this man, the hunter's son, Tanner, five of Annie's cousins, and four of their friends. So in total, there were five girls and six boys, and they were all around 15 or 17 years old. At around 7 o'clock, he claims it began to get dark. They take flashlights and take the trail down to the property. The rest of them 
make s'mores, chill out, cook around the campfire. He said that once he got out here in the woods, however, there was this smell of ozone, this smell of oxidation. It was a rather weird smell, as if a storm was about to come. The smell of damp, electricity, you know that smell. Georgia's a pretty humid place. You could smell it over the smell of the fire they had started. A very nasty, coppery smell, like right after you have a nosebleed and it stopped. It wasn't exactly like dried blood, he said, but it was that nasty, metallic, back-of-your-throat smell. So they immediately thought it could have been an electrical malfunction, or someone left on a hot plate. We searched the trailers and nothing is on, but they can smell it. All of a sudden, they hear people booking down the path towards them. Uh, it was a few of the uh, different groups, uh, members of the group. They had come running into a clearing out of, the, out of breath. They do not break stride. They run straight into the trailer right by where the fire is. One of the children is crying. Uh, they are all hyperventilating, scared. And at this point, the fire is getting lower and lower. One of the young men... He exclaims that no one's going outside, no one's going out, they need to lock the door, and they're staying inside. He is very adamant about this. Uh, Annie Clint said that he looked like he'd been crying and his eyes were bloodshot and his pants were very dirty. He goes on to tell them that they had went up to his house. His father uh, had said that that was okay, he could go out camping, but to make sure they were careful on the way back, and that maybe they should take one of the hunting rifles just in case. Evidently, Tanner, who was the, um, the man's, the hunter's son, I believe, had seen something in their yard a few days before. One of their pigs had come up, ripped up at half-eaten. They assumed it was a big cat or a coyote, even though they don't usually mess with the live animals. So, he had gone upstairs, packed his things, and told they would be okay with the rifle. So they began telling the story. They said they had gotten halfway into the woods towards the camp, when they started to hear things in the forest. It was almost pitch black by this time, so they weren't sure at first what it was. The girl says that she had heard something in the bushes right off the trail, and they all beamed their flashlights over there. And there was someone standing back in the woods in a little hollow. Rooster said that they shouted at him and told him that he was scaring them and that he was being uh, a real jerk. He says that's when he realized that the guy was facing away from them. So they keep walking, and they started smelling that nasty, coppery ozone smell. They said that they looked off into the forest on the opposite side, and it's a dude standing in the forest, backward, slightly closer to the path. So, as naturally, they began power walking. As they're telling the story... Annie notices the smell is still super strong in the cabin, the smell of the coppery ozone. They say that after they started walking faster, a kind of low gibbering had started coming from both sides of the wood. And as they started looking, booking it back to the trailer, the girl said that she had flashed her flashlight out into the woods to the side of them, and had seen something jerking itself through the woods, running sporadically. The gibbering just got louder and louder, and when they could see the light from our campfire, something had come out of the woods about 40 yards behind them into the track, and they had just flat out ran as fast as they could to the trailer. So hearing this, Annie assumes that it's rednecks or someone just trying to mess with them. 
And then one of his cousins, Junior, begins going on about how he went to school with a native kid that was telling him about the goat man. We promptly tell him to be quiet because we don't need any spooky talk or any ghost stories right now. That they're already shaken up enough. But Junior continued on and on about how it's the goat man and how they were in his woods and all that. Now at the time, Annie had never heard any of this, heard anything about the goat man. He said his cousin was going on and on about the goat man, trying to get in and get us. Uh, the girls were all terrified and his cousins and him were all trying to figure out if it was just some hillbillies or just some animal. And then Annie claims the smell simply went away. He said to this day he has not experienced anything like it. Like, smells usually fade away or lessen over time. However, this smell literally was there one second, and then not the next. So, an hour passes, making it around 9 or 10 p.m. They've gathered up enough courage to go outside and stoke the fire again. They figured it was just some rednecks trying to mess with them, so we don't go back home. Uh, or so they did not go back home, because they thought if they did, they would chase us through the woods or hurt them. Nothing else weird happened that night, and so they stay another night. And as for the main part of the night, nothing happens on that either. Now at about one in the morning, they're outside telling ghost stories. As someone is finishing a spooky story, the smell comes back. The smell is so strong, in fact, that one of the girls literally started vomiting. He, claimed he stood up, and he said he could feel how clammy the air was. And he says that he should get inside and that this isn't right. He claims back then he should have just left then. They all went back inside, standing around. His cousin, Junior, continues on about how it's the goat man again. And his one of his other cousins tries to get him to quiet down. All the while, Annie feels that something is wrong just can't figure out what it is. They end up sitting there for a while. The smell is just as strong, and they're all just terrified. They end up cooking for everyone. No one wants to go outside. That's when a girl noticed there was something very wrong. One of the girls began screaming, uh, Oh Jesus, oh Lord, get it out. She's crying and shivering, and then it dawns on the cousin standing up what is wrong. Annie and him both glance around the room and he feels his heart sink. He runs out of the cabin and the girl runs out with us, the trailer door banging against the side of the trailer as everyone books it out of there. One of my cousin's friends asks us what is wrong. I start counting us. There's only 11 of us now. His cousin verified that this was true. There had been 12 people in the cabin, but being that everyone didn't really know each other well and no one had really noticed, the whole time there was an extra person. And then I realized earlier that I had kind of noticed something was off. You know when you're just having a good time goofing around, you don't sweat the small stuff, and you don't always keep track of certain things. Annie is dead certain that someone had been in the trailer with us, and that they had been there for at least one whole day eating with us. What made it worse was, he could figure out which one it was, because he doesn't think anyone ever actually interacted with the other person. The girl continued to pray to Jesus as they were all sitting outside, 
and eventually they all gathered sticks and went back into the cabin, but there's no one in there. We count again, and there was 11 people. We go back into the trailer and lock the door, and we explain what happened. The girl said that she realized it too, and that he was about to say something. The person sitting next to her grabbed her leg hard and leaned over toward her and said that something she could not understand. So hearing that, they get scared again, huddled together, and Annie falls asleep. When he wakes up, the sun is coming up, and half the people are asleep, and the other half are packing their things. They all wanted to go back home, but four people wanted to stay until the sun was all the way up, and some people were thinking that they wanted to just still stay in the trailers. They weren't perturbed by this. Annie just wanted to get out of the woods. Kiera was the name of the girl that the goat man had touched. He had asked her if she really thought it was something bad, and she says that she just wanted to go home and she didn't want to be out in the woods alone another night. So, as any good decision, they decided to split up. The four that wanted to go were able to go, but he had to stay because he had the keys to the cabin and it was his uncle's and he had to lock up. Uh, he was very annoyed uh, because he felt like people weren't taking the, the situation very seriously. And he definitely didn't want to be in the woods another night. He spent the rest of the day trying to convince the rest of the people, now four girls and four guys, to get out of Dodge. Tanner is left with them to get the rifle and says he's going to be back. So there are just seven of us left by 4 p.m. Around 5 p.m. he hasn't made it back yet and they're getting extremely antsy. The only reason he stopped begging them to go back because he was going to get a gun. It's about 5.30 p.m. or so when one cousin that did stay said that the girl Kiera is outside. We all look outside and sure enough, she's standing by the fire pit with her back to the cabin. Now Annie thinks to himself, if she was so scared, why would she come back? And then he got the nasty feeling in his gut. Keep in mind, he said, that the whole, the whole time the coppery smell had been gone. He had just now realized he could smell a tinge of it. He said that to the rest of them and everyone. The people who wanted to stay in the woods after they uh, felt like they had encountered the goat man uh, began laughing at him and asking if he set this up to scare them. Obviously, Annie was a rather angry by this, and um, he asked them why he would do that. Uh, so one of the girls goes outside to get Kira. She gets halfway to her and stops cold. Kiera started heaving. He didn't know how to describe it. Sort of like someone with their back turned was laughing without actually making any sound. It was this fact that made him realize that there was not a single sound in the whole woods. It was dead silent. Now he makes a note next that it was late September, so it was still fairly hot at the time, but it was super chilly on some days as well. You could usually hear large geese honking or some birds and squirrels chit-chatting. So naturally, he steps out of the door and tells that girl to get back in the trailer right now. She backs up into the trailer and they lock the door. They pull down all the shades except one and put a guy there in the chair to watch Kiera through the window. Uh, she stands there for about another 20 minutes or so and the guy turns to say that she's still there 
and there is a, quote, huge bang on the door. Everyone jumps and scrambles and around the living room trailer, and the banging is very loud. So now the cousin is holding one of the girls, and the other two are kind of giggling with nervous laughter, and him and other two guys are scared out of their minds. And then they hear Tanner, who's screaming. Tanner's banging on the door, screaming, let me in, let me in, stop playing. So they go over to the door, open it, and he stumbles in with a rifle, and there's no one else outside. I mention again, no one else outside. Evidently, he had walked up to the campsite. Nothing weird happened in the forest, but he had seen a girl. Mind you, he said it was not Kiera standing there. When he had gotten to the edge of the clearing, she had turned towards him with this slack-jawed look and just stared him down, slowly tracking him as he walked around the outside of the clearing towards the camp. He said it wasn't until he, he was almost halfway to the trailer that he realized that she was getting closer to him. She had started off by the fire, and without him even seeing her move, she had been turning inching closer. He said he had just ran the rest of the way back to the cabin thinking it would open, and when he got to the door and he was locked, he turned and it was about half the distance to the door. He looked around the room and he got super pale. He pulled Annie in close to the side and whispered in his ear, You know there are only seven of us in here, right? Annie said he got that feeling where his stomach dropped down to his toes. It had been back inside the trailer while we were sorting out who was going where, and then we all went outside to talk earlier that day. It had just slipped right back in. They looked out the window and no one was out there, so we recounted everyone, and he goes over and asks how many people were here earlier, and everyone says eight. Everyone agreed, eight. And then he asked how many are here now? They all did their count and realized there were only seven people in the cabin. Now, Annie is truly terrified. But he does feel better because Tanner did in fact bring the rifle and a couple boxes of ammunition from his home. He's confident that whatever comes back, he can quote, be American and shoot it, shoot it whatever it is. <clears throat> But then, one of his cousins, again, tests his patience, and they get into a large argument with one of the girls, uh, because they think that Annie is trying to be funny and prank them, and that they're all getting really scared and that I'm not, Annie is not funny. They keep telling her that Annie's not that type of person, then she brings up how, how do they know that that girl wasn't Tanner in a wig? Or if it really is the Goat Man, someone who can change shapes like skinwalkers based on the uh, prevailing lore of the time, that how do we know that this is the real Tanner and the Goat Man didn't kill Tanner in the woods and take his gun? So a large argument breaks out amongst them all. Annie and Tanner all agree on the notion that they could seriously be in danger because at the very least someone has been sneaking themselves into their trailer without them knowing and mingling with us. And at worst, something bad is in the forest messing with us. Now, one of the girls is crying, she's hysterical, and we're trying to tell her she should not go uh, alone because none of us are walking through the woods in the middle of the night. And at this point, the sun is starting to go down and it's getting a bit cloudy. 
So they begin to eat something and turn on the radio for a while, but they claim they can't really get a station with anything decent. So they turn it off, and at that time, Tanner's cousin shows up. He was 19, he believes. At this point, the sun is barely over the horizon, and he has one of those heavy-duty lantern flashlights and another rifle. He walks up to the trailer, and we whisper to Tanner, asking if that's his cousin, and he says yes. The guy looks behind him and all around the camp and then walks in. He kind of glances at all of them and looks a little confused. He says, Where's your other little buddy at? I figured she would meet me up at the cabin. Is she a little slow or something? He also asked whether we had been cooking blood in the cabin, anything with blood, because it had smelled like blood and hot pans all the way up the trail. Of course, they all agreed no in a resounding way, and they ask him what he's talking about with the girl he saw. He said he had come down the same trail Tanner had been using and come up on, quote, one of your guy's buddies standing in the middle of the trail, looking at him slack-jawed. He had asked her a bunch of questions, but all she did was just look at him. Then she smiled at him, and he said that he kept walking. She couldn't seem to keep up with him and kept lagging a little behind him. He said he asked her if she was hurt or something, and if she needed any help. But she had continued to stare. Eventually, he had been walking and turned around a bend in the trail. But when he turned around and went back to see if she was okay, the trail was empty. He'd assumed she had taken some sort of shortcut through the woods to the trailer. So, of course, naturally, we tell him the whole story of what had been going on, and Annie half expected him to say that they were full of it, but he listened and sat down on one of the couches in the room. Tanner's cousin returns to the story of the girl. He says, when she had kept trying to lag behind him, it had kind of weirded him out, so he tried to keep her in front of him. But no matter how slow he walked, she always was, she was always lagging a little behind. He also retorted that he smelled this nasty smell that got stronger as he got closer to camp. Eventually it was, quote, really strong. She had said something really low that he didn't catch, and when he had turned around she had been right up on him, and he stepped back from her. It was at this point he asked her if she was okay, and if she wasn't, him to carry her back the rest of the way, and she just kept staring. He said he reached out for her as in to grab her on the shoulder, but he must have misjudged the distance because she was off to the side where he had put his hand like she had moved while he was looking dead at her. So at this point, we knew it was real. Unless Tanner was playing a joke, which we can tell he's not because he's shaking in his boots. So they loaded up the rifles, they ate some more, and they sit around till about 11. At around 11 o'clock, the stink of the copper turns into an actual nasty, gross, blood-like smell, like cooking blood and singed hair. Tanner and his cousin, Reese, get up instantly and grab the rifles. This is where it gets... interesting. They said at the door there was a half-knocking, half-clawing, and that Annie swear that there was this voice. He had said, and I quote, It sounded like when you see those YouTube cats and dogs whose owners teach them how to talk. It says in this halting, 
weirdly toned, shaky voice. Let me in. Let me in. Stop playing. Just like Tanner had done hours before. One of the girls began crying and calling upon Jesus' name as Annie felt his skin turn to ice. It was, in Annie's words, it was so obviously not a person talking. It didn't have the right cadence. And that's something he had never realized until that moment. But all people have a certain cadence when they talk, no matter what language. All people have a certain rhythm. This had no rhythm. One of those YouTube cats. That's what it sounded like outside the door. So now he was in full-on terror mode. They kept yelling outside, Who is it? Stop messing around. And it just kept saying, In or let me in for almost 15 minutes straight. So, the smell goes away for a while. For the next hour or so, you hear someone creeping around in the woods. Every couple of minutes, it would come back to the door and say something else. Let me in, or in. Eventually, the smell would fade away around two in the morning, and Reese, Tanner's cousin, would scream that he had had enough, and he opened the door, walking outside and firing his rifle. In the name of, he called upon the name of Christ and exclaimed that it should go away as he fired two more shots into the air. And then from the woods, right up against the river from across the trailer, it sounded like something slowly gibbering and hooting. Then it began screaming at the sound of the gunfire, and he claims it sounded like a woman and a cat in a bag screaming together. He had never heard anything like it and it immediately made your blood curdle. He could hear the brush over in the wood line begin to shake, and Reese began firing over the tree line and began backing towards the house. He came back into the trailer, locked the door, and they continued hearing it scream and wail. He said that, Reese said that he saw something come out of the bushes, super low to the ground like a spider, crawling towards the cabin. He had shot at it. Pretty much that's how the rest of the night went, Annie said. It was literally screaming constantly for the next two hours, and they could hear things moving in the tree line, but it never came up to the cabin until everyone had finally fallen asleep. Now this next part, Tanner had said he had been sitting in the chair watching the door with his rifle. No one else heard or saw this, and he told me two days later, after the whole thing was over, this account. Tanner said that he had been nodding off after the screaming noises finally stopped, and he had been almost asleep when he saw someone come out of the bathroom and lay down in the middle of the floor and go to sleep. He just assumed it was one of us, and he nodded off. Then he said he kind of realized something was wrong, and while pretending to sleep, he counted us. There were nine people in the cabin. He didn't want to shoot at the thing laying in the floor and have it kill us then and kill them then and there, or have Reese wake up and start shooting and kill ourselves. So he just stayed awake all night pretending to be asleep, watching. 
He said sometimes it would stand up and do this weird jittery thing where its bones would disconnect and morph and change into weird positions. Or it would heave in place like it was laughing, but no sound would come out. But then eventually it would lay back down. The story, in Annie's opinion, closes pretty weak. From then on, from Annie's perspective, he had woke up and nothing had happened the night that night. Tanner had not told him yet. He noticed Tanner was a little jittery and that he was avoiding looking at everyone. They ate breakfast, packed up, and started walking to the house. He stayed in the cabin and said he'd lock up and bring bring Annie his uncle's keys and just to start walking and he'd catch up. When they got up the path, he came running up, basically sprinting back to the uh, group. Tanner said there was a window in the bathroom. He had gone back to lock up and looked in there. Uh, The window was up when he had went in. And he guesses that it had been doing that all along, waiting for them to fall asleep or slip up and then getting in among them. It walked with us all the way back to his house. And then he said it lagged to the back of the group and looked him dead in the eyes before walking into the woods. I hope you enjoyed the story. Um, That concludes uh, the famous Anansi's Goatman story. uh, A summary, and there's something you can read for yourself over on the Creepypasta Wiki, as well as hearing someone narrate it on YouTube for the full story. These stories... Are they factual? Who knows? The disclaimer on the Creepypasta website is that uh, everything, unless it is a serial killer's documentary or biography, is 100% fiction. And so you can take that to heart with you tonight as you uh, go to bed and recover from hearing the story and think about perhaps maybe doing your own adventure, searching for the possibility of a goat man in northeast Georgia, in Tacoa. We are at the foot of the Appalachian Mountains with our Mount Curry, and you never know what could be lurking in the woods at night. Now this goat man, half goat, half man, could be the case of some rogue scientist in Maryland having some fantastical blow up. It could be the result of demonic influence, a creature that spawned from the devil himself. Could be a lot of different things. However, in your thoughts about this and if you choose to study it and investigate it any further uh, be smart and know that the Lord has you and keep your faith strong this has been a fulfilling episode for Cryptid Corner and the next episode we can uh, divulge into another creature or story of supernatural basis and foundation Uh, We'll get to see some more folklore, get to hear some more folklore and stories, and decide for yourself and do your own research on uh, what these things, what, what more is there to these stories and these creatures. I thank you for joining me, and this is Justin Crunkleton signing off on behalf of Eagle Radio and Skull Falls College. Thank you.